This is the Zach Ansbury Show. Welcome. Today's podcast clip comes from an interview with Julian Major from Visit Victoria. Advertising effectiveness um, specialist, or I am the you know guy that you go to for pricing issues, or you know whatever like like that. And I sort of didn't see myself fitting nicely into either of those two um, streams. I definitely am not the sort of person that can be good in a sales role and I just didn't like the idea of you know really pinning myself down to one sort of specialist research area particularly at this um you know at that stage of my career so I thought of you know staying in a um research agency environment would have been nice but I feel that you would have got diminishing returns on how much you're learning and it would have been sort of getting into the routine of doing the the same things unless you really want to push hard into one of those um, two um, areas. So, yeah, the opportunity came up at um, Visit um, Victoria. Had had a little bit of experience in the tourism world. Tourism Australia was um, a client for some time during my time at GFK and so okay. worked with um, their research um, team there. So I really liked the, um, I suppose, product category of, of tourism, found it super um, interesting and, you know, such a unique space being um, attached to a um, um, sort of a destination marketing um, organisation. Um, and, yeah, it came in a, a, at an interesting time for the um, organisation. So um, I came in when there was um, no one else in the consumer um, insights um, team. Um, my predecessor had... Uh, left for another opportunity um, in the Victorian um, government and it okay. took them a while <laughs> to hire um, someone uh, new for that role. So I, I'm not a, I don't recommend starting a new job when there's no formal handover period, but I suppose yeah. that in itself is a, a really good learning exercise and, get, you know, breeds a certain, um, you know, resilience um, in you. And it's, you know, sometimes you need that shock challenge, um, particularly when you feel like you've, you know, um, being at a certain pace and being in a really, you know, comfortable um, environment where you're you're really confident in what you're doing all the time at um, at GFK. So um, yeah, came in um, uh, the team uh, doubled to two. Finally got someone else um, <laughs> in that um, team, and you know, just moved up to the um, head of. Yeah, it's recently been a job title change. Um, consumer insights to research and insights um, mm. moved up into that um, head of position. It's the same thing, just a change of um, title to better reflect um, uh, what we do. But, yeah, it's um, such a fantastic place to work. It's different every day. Um, and what I like most about being on um, this side of the fence is that you can really see the outcome of your work or you can not even yeah. not even that you can see the um the cog that research plays in the wheel of the organization um more holistically so you're just one part of something that feeds into that informs um this which leads to this which has that sort of um outcome and you know at an agency you do have good relationships with your um with your clients um, but, you know, there's always, you, you know, 
you will always miss certain context of what the research is being um, used for and the other things that are going on at the organisation um, at, at the time. So I, I like being in the um, inner circle rather than just doing a piece of work and delivering it and saying, yep, good job sort of thing. Um, you know, the job never um, ends um, here. Um, and, you know, it's, I mean, the, the one interesting thing about it is you really need to enjoy the, the sort of work that you, the organisation um, does because it's your life day in, day out. Um, sometimes at a research agency, you'll get some clients that are like, this is the most boring product category or this sort of work is not the most um, exciting. You know, if you um, weren't interested in tourism or you went to an organisation that sold toilet paper or whatever, you know, that could be really interesting. Um, but, you know, if, if, you don't, um, if you don't find it interesting, it's going to get old quickly because you live and breathe that um, product category and that work um, every day. So, yeah, that's sort of why I wanted to move over um, to see, you know, um, and to, to work with people who aren't just research people um, at the end of the day. Um, that's a good thing about being in a research agency, that camaraderie of you're all doing the same thing, all working to the same goal to try and grow your research agency, hire more people, do good work. You all know what good work is. You all know what bad work is. Whereas um, on this side of the fence, you know, you're working with people who acquire major um, events, people who do um, marketing campaigns, people who do, you know, cooperative marketing, um, you know, uh, business events is another arm of um, Visit um, Victoria. So, you know, you get to see what so many really um, smart people do day to day and, you know, think about, you know, how can what I do help them do their job better ultimately or, you know, create better outcomes. Yeah, uh, like uh, I'm a South Australian Sino, like Tourism SA, and mm. I mean, yeah, it's I don't know much about Vic, um, like Visit Victoria or anything. Mm. Um, Chris Villani, who you know as well, he worked for like mm. the equivalent in Sydney, didn't he? Or yeah, New Destination Wales? New South Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you see them as competitors? Yeah, uh, it's a really interesting question. Um, so, and it's really interesting, I suppose, depending on what sort of business unit you work um, in. So, um, I think there's elements that are highly competitive and um, areas that are incredibly commercial um, in confidence. So I know all the researchers at all the other um, states um, and there are, you know, certain things that even if they're cheeky and ask you a question, you say, well, you know, I'm not answering that. <laughs> that's, you'll, you'll have to wait and see what we do sort of um, thing. But there are some areas where... Um, collaboration and cooperation is really beneficial for um, us all um, as a whole. So okay. there are a number of research projects that we do which has sort of like a federal state funding model um, and it primarily works in international tourism yeah. um, because if we know... Um, if we know more people come to um, Australia, then, yes, there's a competitive job to be done in making sure that you know, Victoria is on the list or New South Wales is um, on the list, but there's an element of everyone will win to some degree if international tourism um, does really well. And from a research perspective, um, it just makes a lot of sense to pull our resources um, in that um, area, whereas the most competitive market would be interstate 
um, tourism um, for sure because there's, you know, um, limited um, number of people. People don't do multi-state journeys like they do in no. internationals. So it's, yeah. you know, a, a finite market and you're trying to gain market share and do the most effective um, work. Whereas, um, yeah, international, I would say, is one area where we um, collaborate um, the most. And there are also some areas where, um, you know, we get together twice a year um, as part of a research committee with Tourism Australia, the States, Tourism Research Australia, the ABS. Um, you know, there's benefits in us all collaborating on those national pieces of research and making sure that they're as good as they can be and we're sharing knowledge so that anything that is done at that national level is informed by our experiences um, as states. But, yeah, it's, it's a unique, um, unique environment in that sometimes, even though we are competitors, you do have to collaborate and talk to each other um, and they're all lovely people from a research perspective, which is um, great. Um, don't deal as much with the marketing teams and the others. I can't speak for that. But, uh, um, you know, researchers tend to be quite... Um, friendly um, people and the nature of your work brings you together, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I have no idea it worked like that. And I don't think a lot of people would. And it kind of makes a lot of sense, like, because Australia, we're competing internationally against other places. Yes. So yes. Other, yep. other countries, essentially, mm. and then almost blocks of countries when you think of, like, Europe or Asia, for example. Like, if you're doing an yep. Asia trip, it's not unheard of to go from, mm. you know, Malaysia and then going to Singapore, for example, because they're yep. sort of neighboring countries or you almost kind of see the US as, you know, multiple states, but you'll go there and people don't usually just go to one, I'd assume. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're kind of competing and say so you're kind of pulling those resources together, but then you're then competing, uh, yeah, uh, competing against everyone else, but then you're competing against your, mm. your uh collaborators uh, yeah definitely and you know just because more people come to australia it doesn't mean that that those visitors are divvied up as as what market share is right Mm. now so um you know five or ten years ago um victoria was um number uh three in terms of um international visitation um and expenditure behind both new south wales and um and Queensland, um, and we've since um, overtaken um, Queensland to be um, number two. And you know, it, it is a market that can um, that can change under the right um, conditions um, mm. as well. Particularly with something like aviation access being such a, a large driver of what gets um, people to you know go to your state first of all, and then you know stay longer. If you if you can get more um, direct flights, people will take those direct flight options and stay a longer part of their trip in your um, destination. So it is a really weird thing of, you know, there's a benefit if more people come to Australia, but it's still competitive. And post-COVID, it's going to be more competitive because Mm. how rare would it be in any product category where your market essentially goes to zero and you have to restart um, again? And, you know, every state is going to see that as an opportunity to say, you know the old world is um, the old world is out. We want to come back as the biggest, or we want to come back not in the position that we were before, um, but bigger than ever. And that's going to be a trend that you're going to see around the world um, as well. In that there's um, you know uh, destinations that have really struggled and seen the impact of of not having um, tourism, and they're going to um, go hard when the when the planes start um, flying and when there's a, you know, a finite pool of, um, you know, international travellers. 
Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I agree with you completely. It'd be interesting to see how that does take effect and then if and how long it does take to revert back to the old mm. way. Like, so if I was to get on a plane, and, and this is just mm. um, anecdotal thinking, but if I was to get on a plane, unless I had a vaccine that I knew was effective, yep. you know, I wouldn't be going to New York City because that's a, was yeah. a bit of a hotspot or, you know, Los Angeles or Barcelona or London yep. or any of these places that are massive international mm. household names of everyone who's pretty much alive. Mm. Um, but I'd be considering going to some small island nations that are around Australia that haven't been impacted by COVID as much and are probably more safe destinations. And so yeah. you think market share will change in the short term. But I do wonder whether it's kind of like the case of, you know, you have um, some food poisoning from... Mm like a local bakery or some yep. frozen berries or something. And it's yep. a short term hit. Yeah. And yeah. then repertoire buying and habitual behavior kicks back into gear and normal behavior occurs. Like how long until, you know, say, yeah. I don't know what, what's the number one international destination, do you know? You, oh, you might know. The, the, the number one, uh, well, uh, it, it would depend on how you um, define it um, as well. So, um, it would be a, an Asian hub um, yeah. destination just because of um, oh, them probably being Singapore or Singapore or yeah. yeah, I mean Singapore per capita, Dubai tiny. or something. Ireland, but how many, how many people um, who leave Thai, the airport? Yeah, like Thailand would be um, high up there in terms of oh, yeah. international um, visitation. Bangkok is a hub. It's in Southeast Asia around highly populated areas, and it's a popular holiday um, destination. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's an interesting question. It's like the whole you know Samsung their phone setting on fire sort of um, thing. You know, they're still pretty um, big, and that was forgotten pretty quickly. But um, yeah. I think. Um, safety and security has always been the number one uh, um, consideration on people's um, minds when they're picking um, a destination. Okay. Um, and Australia's always been perceived really strongly um, on that. And the research that we're seeing at the moment is that that has um, increased um, mm -hmm. in perception. And it's probably the case as well for a lot of um destinations that have either handled COVID well or in general have this perception of being, uh, having lots of wide open spaces and um, nature like places mm. like Canada and Australia. So I think there's a benefit um, in that, but you definitely can't rest on your laurels, I suppose, mm. um, because yes, um, you know, the US and the UK are in a really precarious situation um, at the moment in regards to COVID, but they are very appealing holiday um, destinations. And there will be a time where you can um, uh, go there. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes people are easy to, uh, people forget um, quite easily. So I think there's a little bit of truth in both of what you said. Mm. Um, yeah, it's uh, not one or, or the other. Yeah, uh, it, but yeah. So there's probably a short-term change, maybe long-term revert back, and then yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. I think it's rather rather cool because we it's a real-world experiment mm, on on unique. a global level. You're not going to get a bigger sample size than this. No, yeah, it's going to be. Um, and you know, this is all happening at a time where our access to data and information is so much better. Yeah. So you know, the evaluation of what has happened over this period, not just from a tourism perspective, but a health perspective and, you know, all sorts of different angles and all sorts of different 
product categories have been um, affected. Um, mm. You know, there's going to be some good research um, after the fact, um, I suppose, in, in what um, what all of this has done. But you know, all the all the forecasts that we're seeing are saying the travel won't get back to its baseline levels of pre-COVID till 2024. So, wow. you know, recovery is a, a long-term um, game at, um, at this point. Um, you know, that's the forecast. Things can change pretty um, quickly. There are some people that would be a lot more optimistic um, than that. But, um, yeah, recovery will, will take some time. It's such an unusual situation, you know, whilst COVID has affected other categories. Um, very few have been taken down to zero in terms of international visitation to us in New Zealand and quite a lot yeah. of other countries are having to do um, similar things um, as well. So really, um, you know, interesting times ahead. I think it's, uh, I, and, and like you said, the market went to zero. Mm. Like the Australian government made a decision to shut international yeah. borders and, yeah. and and a lot of the, this is for the Australian audience, I suppose, and, and maybe mm. international who don't know, a lot of our state premiers who, who control the borders. Mm. Did, did you know the premiers controlled the borders before this? Uh, no, I didn't really, no, to be I honest. I didn't either, it's, yeah. Yeah, and it's something that would differ country to country. Um, yeah. My understanding is, it's either not possible in the US to do that or it's really, really difficult um, and the people wouldn't um, accept it. But, yeah, you learn something new. <laughs> I, I had no idea. At, yeah. at, at his will, Stephen Marshall, who's out, yeah. like the South Australian government uh, premier, could be like no one from here or there or anywhere can come. And I, I think people can leave, but they just couldn't come back. Uh, I had yeah. no idea they could do that. That's pretty yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, what was I saying? What were we talking about just before that? I got a bit diverted. Uh, I can't remember. It, oh, it has, um, it's the, happened the, before, the, though. Oh, it's um, all changed. Oh, has it? Yes, yeah, Spanish flu, they did the same um, thing. Australia shut its borders, which, you know, access was quite different uh, mm. as opposed to um, huge planes coming in every day. But international borders were shut and some state borders were um, as well. It's um, interesting that that's our best know, case yeah. study going back 100 years, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, just think, and that reflected on the financial markets. Like, mm. back in March, Qantas, which is mm -hmm. over 100 years old now as, a, as an airline, yes. Um, yes. Uh, I think it's a – I really enjoy it. I know some people don't mm. like Qantas flights. I quite enjoy the service. Um, mm. And uh, – their share price was sitting around $7.50 a share. Mm. And within about a week or so, I can't exactly remember the dates, but the lowest point I saw it reach was $2.02. Mm. And this is right when numbers were getting worse in the US and like yeah. things weren't looking as good. We had bigger lockdowns in, in Australia. And now I think they're sitting at about $5.50. Yeah. And the international yeah. market has not even opened up. Mm -hmm. I think that's I crazy. Think, I think that does talk to, even though we say things like, you know, the market might not be at base levels until mm. um, 2024. Um, that might come across as, you know, um, pessimistic. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, travel before this was a category that had just been growing um, year on year. I think Australia had about 15 consecutive years of, of growth in international um, visitation, wow. um, despite the fact that Australians could... Um, travel outbound um, with cheaper and cheaper options and more options available to them, and they were doing that. Despite that, um, domestic tourism was always growing, um, you know, not at the same rate, but still being a, a solid performer over a long period of time. So, you know, 
um, you know, Australia is a popular destination to come to and Australians love travelling um, themselves and that desire, that underlying what I would call a, a need um, is not going to um, go away. Um, a lot of people, even though travel is discretionary expenditure, a mm -hmm. lot of people don't consider it um, that way. Um, they consider it something that, um, you know, is, is more um, important to them. You know, it's, it's really important for people's, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily overstating to say it's important for people's mental health to be able to um, get away to spend quality time with their um, friends and um, family. So yeah. um, I think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demands when borders um, open, when more options um, open up to people. And, yeah, um, you know, Qantas is strong enough with an airline to get through this um, as well. Not all of yeah. them will be. Um, so, um, yeah, um, you know, hopefully we all get past this and, you know, aviation's a big employer, um, hotels yeah. are a big employer. There's a lot of businesses that, you know, are really doing it um, tough um, at the moment. So um, hopefully when that um, when we're vaccinated and safe to travel, um, you know, um, we benefit from it and, you know, jobs come back and the market comes back strongly. Yeah, I, I, I actually quite agree with Hey, guys. It's Zach Ainsbury here with just a couple of quick reminders. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, then make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. There are plenty more interviews to come with some of the world's leading marketing academics and practitioners. You do not want to miss these. In the meantime, if you're looking for another way to connect, then follow me on Twitter at Zach Ainsbury. That is Z-A-C-A-N-E-S-B-U-R-Y for my take on the marketing issues of the day.